Okay, super excited to talk to this person because I haven't seen him. I think it was back in April um, in Bali is when we first met. And then Mayumi was sweet enough to connect us, um, you know, virtually. And then once I went out there, we sat down and, you know, we chatted about co-living. And this guy definitely has experience in real estate, has experience in co-living and running a home. And so, uh, yeah, let's just launch right into it. So go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell everybody what you're up to. Cool. Uh, my name's Karen Goss, originally from New Zealand, where I'm a property investor, but the goal was always to do property to be able to pay me to go traveling. Uh, so I started traveling, lived in, uh, lived in the Netherlands for 10 months with a Dutch girlfriend, and then we started traveling the world with a group that would take us from city to city. Uh, we, we didn't last too long with that, didn't really like it, but we're like, what if, instead of having the entire group going from place to place each time, what if we had the different places where the people could come to? And so that's kind of how I got involved in co-living. I didn't even know it was called co-living back then. All I wanted was to set up a place where I could have awesome people come, stay for a while, and then like go to the next place. And so set up in Bali, uh, where I, where I did my first attempt at co-living, I guess I'd call it. And that was how long, was that like a year and a half ago? How long ago was that? What are we now? 2018. It was the start of, I took over January, 2017. Okay, cool. And then talk a little bit, we don't want to scare people, but cause everybody comes to us and we were, Kendra Quarters was contemplating doing Bali. Um, and I loved it there, it's beautiful. But tell me about the authorities and you know, you have to pay off people to have parties. And, uh, <laughs> did you say it was just super corrupt? It's, it's different, it's definitely different. Um, so, I don't think Bali was the right place to get started. Obviously with, with co-living and with a lot of that sort of thing, people usually pay the premium because they want to be living with amongst other entrepreneurs, other like-minded people, and they, they have everything provided for them. But Bali's so cheap anyway, and the locals would be happy to make $100, $200 extra per month, which for us, it wouldn't be even worth it. I mean, I was spending 100 bucks a month on coconuts alone. And so, and so it made it really difficult. And then it wasn't until after I'd signed up for a year long lease, where in Bali you pay the year in advance. So you're dropping 30 to $50,000 on a property before you've even built it. Um, and then having to buy all the, the furniture, the sheets, the knives, spoons, that sort of thing. But um, given it's in Southeast Asia and you know, Southeast Asia is renowned for not a, I wouldn't quite say corruption. Um, there is obviously corruption there, but it's it's just a different way of operating. So in Bali, they have little villages which are called banjars, and the banjar is kind of like the local council. But in New Zealand and America, and you know, in normal Western countries, the council have these rules that you could go onto a website and you know how all the rules work, right? And if you don't follow them, the council could still come and take your house, blah blah blah. But over there, you don't know what the rules are, and it's different from banjar to banjar. So for example, even down to how much you pay for your rubbish, I was paying $15 a month, which I thought was relatively cheap. And then another friend's like, you're paying too much. I only pay $3 per month. I'm like, well, who really cares? But like you're saying with the parties, we'd have a party and they'd be like, oh, you didn't tell us about the party. And I'm like, well, why would I? And they're like, well, you have a party, you have to pay us. I'm like, what am I paying you for? They're like, for us to come and do security and for parking. I'm like, well, I don't need you to park the cars like or the motorbikes. Like 
people know how to park motorbikes. I've got staff, they can help with the motorbike parking. And so, um, so the very first party I did, that was a complete screw up. I paid 2 million rupiah, which is about 150 US dollars, I think. And I only, I only had seven people come because everybody sees all the banjo there sitting there like looking all authority wise and um, little red flashing lights and we're like, yeah, no, we're not going to go and they turn around. Oh. So I paid $150 for seven people to come. <laughs> and it was this big joke. So we stopped telling them. Um, and because where we were, no one really noticed. But then a little uh, restaurant opened up across the road and that was where the banjo used to hang out. So if we did anything, they would always know. It was, it's a really interesting concept. Um, some people liken them to the mafia. Um, but yeah, it's, there's, there's so many different rules. Like the local council could, could stop the police from coming in. If they don't like you, they can make your life hell. So I made it my mission right at the start when I first met them to be friendly. I said, hey, I, I want to be part of the community, but I'm, I'm obviously not Hindu, so I'm not going to be sitting there giving tons of money towards all the, all the festivals and stuff. Um, but I don't want to be treated just like a, a rich Westerner who's come in and, and be taken advantage of, um, which I'm not sure worked. <laughs> <laughs> So now, so then that's, so now fast forward to now, now you went back to New Zealand, right? And you guys and tell everybody what your new project is. This is super exciting. So I took everything I learned from Bali. I, I absolutely loved it. I could never make it work. I could never make it financially viable, but I absolutely loved it. I loved that concept of just having amazing people coming and staying in the house who are always on different projects who you could sit down over breakfast and talk about it and I was like how do we how do we take this to the next level and um, one thing I realized one of the big problems with Bali is it's so transient people would come for one month two months and you'd always be trying to fill rooms and I think I worked out I'd ideally rather be in a place where you'd have more permanent people uh, people who are going to stay there a year two years that sort of thing but an interesting that came out of Bali is I met a, a friend. She came and stayed in the property, actually, and, and we became good friends. We started working together, and then she was building a tiny house in Belgium. And I was like, that's really cool. I was like, I've always wanted to do these little entrepreneurial villages. Imagine a, a tiny house village. And so that's now what we're working on in New Zealand. Uh, we've got the building for our own tiny house. We're going to be tiny flatmates. Uh, so that's, that's happening right now. We managed to get funding pretty quickly. Like, you know, if you want to talk about flow, it all just happened. Uh, we pitched one investor. We got the money to build it. We got the land to put the property on. My parents own an amazing piece of land right on a riverfront, uh, two minutes kayak to a waterfall. Um, and when we went and looked at the council, we realized we could fit about 20 tiny houses on there. And it's this, yeah, it's this amazing location uh, where there's a lot of, lot of early, retire, early retirees go to. And I was like, this would be a really good place for lifestyle entrepreneurs, not digital nomads, but lifestyle entrepreneurs, people who want to escape the hustle and bustle can work online or run their business. It's only two and a half hours to Auckland. So if you have to, if you have to go to the big city every now and then, it's not too much of a mission. 
Um, but just to escape, to have this amazing community around them, to be able to build their business. Because the last thing I want is to end up with a trailer park where everyone's sitting around, like, you know, not doing anything. Like, for me, I get really inspired by people who have projects who are out there living their life. So that's what we're working on now. And then, and so like, like go into a little more detail, um, about in your opinion, you know, digital nomad versus lifestyle entrepreneur, like what's the difference in your opinion? I think the big thing, I'm going to get a lot of hate. <laughs> I know, I know, that's why I'm thinking you answer this question and not me. <laughs> I, I've always spoken out a little bit against digital nomads. If you look at most digital nomads, most of them aren't making money. Uh, a lot of them are either living off savings or they're moving somewhere like Bali because it's cheap. But there's a, I think there's a difference between moving somewhere simply because it's cheap. Like you jump on the digital nomad groups and they're like, where can I live for 600 bucks per month? And it's like, why limit yourself to that? Why not say, you know, if you're a real entrepreneur, you'd say, actually, I love this place. Like um, you're in, you're in um, Silicon Valley, right? No, I'm down in Los Angeles. Okay. Okay. Oh, (laughs) cool. That's what they call it now. I'm not just making that up. Playa Vista is now Silicon Beach because the Silicon Valley is getting too crowded. So they're moving all the tech here to West Angeles. Yeah, it's really cool. And then you have the beach and you have better weather. So if it's an amazing place like that, why wouldn't you say, okay, what do I have to do in order to earn enough money to go live in Silicon Beach? Yeah. Rather than being like, oh, I only know how to make 600 bucks a month. I'm going to go live in some shitty area where I can only afford to live for 600 bucks a month and make the best out of it. So I think that's the biggest difference between digital nomads and uh, lifestyle entrepreneurs. The other is a lot of um, digital nomads, I feel, are just ticking countries off. Um, they're just traveling for travel's sake. I, got, I found it really difficult to build my business when I was constantly traveling and I just... I was so happy when I found somewhere and I could just settle down and have a base and, you know, I'd still travel, but I'd, I'd have somewhere to call home. No, and I think you're right. And I think it's almost for just the Instagram shots, right? Oh, I'm in this country. I'm in that country. I'm on this. And it's exhausting for them because a lot of them behind the scenes, it gets very isolating and exhausting. They've told me, you know, I've known people that have jumped. They'll jump every two weeks for a year, um, but you don't make connections when you're only, when people know you're only there for two weeks, it's hard to get a deep connection. So that's interesting. Well, we actually had that in the end in Bali because we ended up with a group of five to 10 of us who were semi-permanent. You know, we're going to be in Bali like six months is what it takes to be semi-permanent, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and when you go out to a networking group, you're like, oh really, we got to do all this again? Or you go out to, you know, just a social gathering. It's like, oh really, how long are you here for? And if someone said I'm here for a month, you, you probably almost wouldn't bother talking to them because it wasn't going to be ben- of any benefit to you. You know, a month later, you're going to be talking to somebody else. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, and then I love, so, so your, your kind of title, I don't know if it's a title, but futurist. So I love that. Cause you do, you think like, okay, where are we heading? Like, these, these 